I want to uh, spend some time this evening talking about uh, from Romans chapter 7. You remember we were in our study on Romans 7, and uh, if you turn with me there, first of all, uh, we discover that in verse 6 it says, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. And so it goes on. And we talked last time, you remember, about thou shalt not covet. And you remember, uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, or thy neighbor's ass, and, or thy neighbor's house, or whatever else you wished to covet. And we went through it. And um, we talked about it. Now I want to go on to talk uh, basically about we should serve, in verse 6, in newness of spirit, not in oldness of letter. Now, it seems a very kind of uh, insignificant statement, and yet in that statement is contained a lot of truth. If you turn with me to Galatians, uh, and we're going to Galatians, and uh, let's see. Uh, let's take it, um, Galatians chapter 3, okay, Galatians chapter 3 first. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should obey the truth, should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ have been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? If he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, Doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. In these shall all nations be blessed. So they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, 
but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of a spirit through faith. I want to uh, really talk tonight uh, about the necessity of understanding what our beliefs are and to explain something that I think needs to be understood by all and that is the difference between a Christian who is a man born of the Spirit of God and walking in the life of God and a religious person. Uh, and why there is enmity between the two. And there will be enmity between the two. And one of the things is that we need to understand throughout uh, the world you will find, uh, and uh, I think it's true to say we've traveled around the world, my wife and I, we literally flew around it uh, by plane. And one of the things I discovered is there's a work of the Spirit of God going on and there's a false work going on and the two seem to run side by side and to the undiscerning and to the uneducated eye and to the unenlightened eye, one and the, the same, might, they might seem the same. You'd look at one and you, you would say, well, you know, it doesn't seem such a wonderful work and you look at another and it would seem from its outward appearance that it had far more. And yet, when you really see what is behind and underneath the work of a Christian work, you will see either the Spirit of God moving or a legalistic system that's dead. Now, the death always hates life. That's a law in the Spirit. And it's a law that is immutable and it is a law that always occurs. For instance, we only have to keep your finger in Galatians there and turn over one page and you will discover if you have a good authorized version. In verse 21 of chapter 4, tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, I want you to notice that Paul asked, do, do you not hear the law? And you wouldn't think that the stories in Genesis were law, would you? But Paul refers to them as the law. You'd think the Ten Commandments were the law. Hmm? Well, here you are. He says, hear the law. Okay? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was born by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai which gendereth to bondage. Which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. 
For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the three. Now, he was talking about an allegory. Now, you will remember that uh, Abraham uh, was promised a son, a promise, wasn't he? And he was told that in him all nations of the earth would be blessed. And that woman uh, was Sarah, his wife. And when Sarah didn't conceive in her old age, she thought to take her servant, which was Hagar, and give her to Abram as a wife so she could bear children in her place. And so it happened that that's what happened. Now, it was logical. It was very human. It was a natural thing. But it wasn't God's way. And it's an allegory, the Scripture tells us. Now, an allegory means it's an illustration of that which is truth. Now, supposing an individual wants to become a Christian... All right? An individual feels that they need a Christian or a, an experience, a religious experience. And they seek after God and they begin to seek after God. And a lot of people begin to seek after God. Now what you find in most people's cases is the first time they seek after God, what they get is a Christian experience that's not really a spiritual experience but it's something where they're born after the flesh into a Christian experience. In other words, they use their intellect, they use their reason, they accept Christ on, on a, a level, but usually there is no real conviction of sin, there's no real cry from the heart, and there's no real understanding of what true salvation is, and there's usually no real new birth. True? Many of you could testify to that, I'm sure. Right, now that happens and you think that you've got the real thing. Hmm? And there's a lot of people in Christendom that believe they have the real thing, but actually what they've got is something that's intellectually perceived. Changing their lives? Most certainly. They've now adopted Christian standards and Christian principles and they will read their Bible and they are legalistic to the nth degree. Uh, and they will turn around and they will tell you, oh yeah, well, you're a Christian now, you mustn't smoke, you mustn't drink, and you mustn't be happy. Uh, you know, almost. Uh, I always remember that was, uh, that's a lot of uh, idea of people's Christianity. You ask them what a Christian is, and they'll say, someone who doesn't swear, doesn't smoke, and doesn't drink. And that is their idea. And of course, they would add to Christian that, of course, 
Uh, you better live the simple life. Now you're a Christian. I met one last night who said that. Better live the simple life and give to Oxfam, you know, a, a good portion of your money to Oxfam to feed the poor. Don't eat meat because these poor little animals don't want to die. Eat grass instead or Kellogg's Corn Flakes, uh, whatever it is. And, and don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Uh, and try to be good to everyone and um, better go to two or three churches. You know, you don't want to, you want to be ecumenically minded in the sense that go here, there and everywhere. Never settle anywhere because you might ex be expected to actually change in more ways than just one. And they build up a religious atmosphere around them. And most of the world would call them Christians. And they have a standard of life which looks Christian outwardly, doesn't it? And they will help the poor, wretched, little, harmless people who go about and get themselves into bother. And they'll become little social busybodies going around and poking their nose into their neighbor's affairs and calling it Christian work. They will gossip, they will slander uh, in the name of, of course, upholding the Christian work um, and you know they're keen to help uh, and so it goes on and what you get is a collection of people all together who have one common interest promoting themselves they are Christians and they want you to know they're Christians and they feel that the Christian life you should do this you should do that you should do the other and it's very legalistic. When you analyze it, it's legalism. Law. They go to prayer meetings. Very deeply praying people. They have an attitude where they uh, think they're very spiritual. They'll read their Bible occasionally. If they have to. Uh, but the main thing is they're people of the Spirit. And of course... They can discern all things. You know, Pope wrote uh, about politicians. He said, politician. Uh, oh, no, he wrote uh, about coffee. He said, coffee that makes the politicians wise and see through all things with half-shut eyes. And these people, they don't drink coffee. What they drink is an amount of the so-called spirit, and they can see through all things with half-shut eyes. Uh, and they think they know. And you go and you talk to that type of person and you challenge them about their inward experience and they'll say, well, of course, I am a pilgrim. We're all on the way. No one's perfect. No one's actually arrived. And, of course, yes, I, I do hate people, but, um, you know, God's delivering me. And, you know, this person I spoke to has been, been in the process of deliverance for, for 20 years. Now, if any of you had a baby and it took 20 years to deliver the thing, I think you'd give up, wouldn't you? I mean, a baby's going to be rather large to get out after 20 years of, of uh, labor. God deliver us from 20 years of labor. Um, but, uh, <laughs> wrong type of labor, that. But, um, you know, you imagine a baby coming out through 20 years. Ridiculous. And they, they will have all sorts of expressions and relig religious ideas. Now, what we have to be careful of is, firstly, the people 
who are so Christian turn out to be the main persecutors of the true work of God. The people who go to church and are very nominal, uh, you know, they'll go to church on a Sunday and they'll, you know, they'll hit their friend on the nose on the Monday and they don't care, you know, church to them is just going to church once a week and, and as long as you um, do that, you'll be all right and you'll go to heaven. Now, those type of people aren't really concerned about how other people live. Religious people who are legalistic are very concerned. Now, the people that persecuted Christ weren't the average Joe Bloggs who lives down the road, who uh, isn't at all religious. I mean, those people flocked to hear Jesus Christ and they loved him. The common people heard him gladly. Who were the people that hated Christ? was all the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now what made them distinct from the normal person? Well, the thing that made them distinct really was they were legalistic and they were self-righteous. They really believed they were good. And there is nothing worse than a person who really believes they're good. Isn't that so? There's something about a person who's, you know, a kind of Mother Teresa of India. God deliver her. I mean, you know, there she is in Calcutta, working amongst the poor, and it's very good social work. But, I mean, a lot of the people that are poor there and are starving are poor and starving because they won't kill the holy cow, so they're walking down the road eating the food. But an English person over here who's that dumb, who's never been out to an Eastern country and can't understand what it means to be a Hindu or what it means to be one of the untouchables won't understand a lot of people are starving to death in India because of their own stupid fault. I mean, if my children were hungry and there were a lot of holy cows wandering around Penal Field, I'd go and kill a cow. And it'd be in my larder. I mean, I wouldn't have any compunction about it, holy or not. It wouldn't be whole for long. It would be halved and quartered, and it'd be in my larder because it's food. But these people will let the cows come and eat the food off the market stalls. And they'll, they'll complain to, the, you know, they're a third world country, poor people. And English people are suckers for a story. And the trouble is with English people, they're so parochial. They've never traveled outside the shore, a lot of them. They're ignorant. And they don't understand. And so they get an idea that it's a wonderful work. But as I said to someone last night, why doesn't the old Pope go and cut the hem off his gold coat and send that out to Calcutta? Buy a few boxes of rice it would for some people. I mean, if that's, you know, how concerned, uh, it would do more than Mother Teresa does with uh, limited funds. But we have kind of a, a very aesthetic view of religion and God and Christianity. If you ask someone what a Christian is, it's all in the mind. You've got a nice aesthetic idea of what's sweet and nice. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. 
And that's true, isn't it? A lot of people come with that idea. And I meet a lot of people when they talk about Jesus and the fruits of Christianity. Jesus never raised his voice, someone said to me yesterday. I said, well, why does it say he stood in the street and cried with a loud voice? Ah, well, he did it differently. Well, I mean, how can you differently cry with a loud voice? Um, never, ever insulted anyone or called them names. So I said, then what about when he cried out and said, you vipers, you hypocrites, you scorpions? What about when he called Fer um, Herod that old fox? Ah, then it was different. I mean, what a cuckoo idea some people have got in their adult brains. Christ was a man. And, you know, then, then I got the story of Maryology. You know what Maryology is? People that say that Mary's the mother of God. Well, Mary most certainly never was the mother of God. She was the mother of Jesus Christ. But she was only the mother of Christ the man, not of God. And I hope you're clear about that. A Christian realizes that. You can't birth God. He's eternal. And let's be clear about that. God is eternal. She bore the human flesh in which the glory of God was clothed, but she most certainly wasn't the bearer of God. And her name means bitterness. And she was a bitter old maid, really, when you read the Scriptures. And she tried to yank Jesus out from doing his duty when he was about preaching the gospel. She went with her brethren, her brothers and sisters, and knocked on the door and said, Come on home, Jesus. And Jesus said, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? They that do the will of my father. Hmm. And some silly old maid, Blessed is the womb that bared thee. And the paps that gave thee suck. And Jesus said, no. Rather, blessed are they which hear the words that I speak. And do them. He didn't bless the virgin. And when you start reading the Bible with open eyes, you get a very different view of it. And when Christ went about, he was never polite to people. He always trod on their toes. There's a man going along, a rich young ruler. Lord, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And you remember the story? Well, you keep the commandments. Uh, you know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Shall um, not commit adultery, not steal, not this, not that. A young man pushes his chest out five inches and says, All these have I done from my youth up. And could you imagine Jesus patting him on the head saying, Well done, son. And he just looks at him and says, Well, one thing thou lackest. And he just put his finger on the thing the fellow didn't want to hear. Go, sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And it records in the scriptures, The man went away sorrowful, for he had much goods. Now what did Jesus do? He immediately came and he pointed out the need of the individual who had come to him. He wasn't positive, he was most negative. And whenever he met people, he always got down to their personal needs. 
didn't he? Take the woman at the well. There's a woman coming out to get water. And Jesus says to her, give me the drink. She says, you a Jew asking me? And he said, if you knew who, who it was who asked you, you'd have asked of him to give you a drink. The water he'd give would spring up unto eternal life. There's the woman saying this it's in John's Gospel. And you think about that. And then he goes and he says, go and fetch your husband. Now, that's a quite innocuous statement, isn't it? Just go and get your husband. Uh, Sir, she says, I have no husband. And Jesus just mentions, yeah, you've had five, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. I mean, not the most polite thing to say to someone, is it? Who's living in sin. It's not the kind of welcoming card most people would want. Hmm? Someone living in immorality. Can you imagine that, going along to them? Saying, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah you, you, you... You say you've got no husband, and who are you shacking up with at the moment, huh? Not even your husband. And you've had five before that. I mean, you wouldn't welcome that type of fellow into your house who's going to lay it on the line, so to speak, would you? And when you look at the Bible, Jesus was a person who always went around upsetting people. He never went around bringing peace. He always brought discomfort. The people who were discomforted were the religious people who were hypocrites. Sir, said the woman, I perceive thou art a prophet. Well, it's one way to try and get rid of conviction, uh, to try and flatter the person who's just told you what your problem is. Um, but it doesn't really shift conviction, but that's what she did. And then she went and she went into the town and this man told me all I did from my birth upwards. Well, that was a bit of an exaggeration. Just mentioned she had had five husbands and, and the one she was with wasn't hers. But she went and she exaggerated what Christ had said. And all the town came out to him. That's what it says. Christ is somehow so different than man puts him over to be. And you see, legalism likes to make Jesus human. And what people love to do is humanize Christianity so it's easily attained. I mean, it's easy to give five pounds to Oxfam, isn't it? And to get a picture from Oxfam showing the starving little emaciated kid that you are sending money to course nine-tenths of it won't get to the starving little kid you know that it gets to the Indian officials who nick the food at the, the port and sell it on the black market same with tear fund and the rest of the crooked organizations that's why we never send to those we send through to a missionary who's on the field who so it actually gets to the person who really needs it but what an awful thing when a person can really believe they're doing a great thing in giving to a picture, a photograph, 
which is an idea in their mind, and they're given an illusion that by doing that, they're doing a Christian service and duty. What a deception, isn't it? Hmm? And it's one of the worst things. Good works are one of the enemy of the best. And you can hear people say, I, I mean, my father-in-law, he went out and he was a, a missionary with CMS, Church Missionary Society, in Africa, in Uganda. But actually he wasn't, he was a teacher. But he was in CMS, which is Church Missionary Society. But he actually was a teacher. Now, he wasn't a true missionary. He was a teacher, and he got a salary off the government, which was more than uh, CMS paid him, and he sent the rest to CMS so they could send someone else out to persecute the Africans. But the thing is about it that it's a very deceptive thing. It's all religion. And there were the Peace Corps people out there. I met some of them. They were from the States. And you better believe it. Well, these Peace Corps people, they were, some of them are rabid communists. Anyone who's been in East Africa knows that the Peace Corps, American people, they weren't Christian at all. They were commies, through and through. They incited all sorts of confusion in the schools. They were rebels. They'd come out of a um, burn-your-draft-card type um, Except that, that was ten years later. But I mean, they, they were that type of person. You know, absolutely horrible. And yet they'd gone out with a, a, a kind of idea of what it is to do social good. Now what I want to ask is, is that what your Christianity is based upon? Have you somehow got an idea in your mind that you ought to be doing good for others and that'll make you a Christian? And because you've trusted Christ and you believed in Christ, you better do this, you better do that, you better do the other, and then you'll become a fine Christian person. That is the virtue of being a Christian. You can help this person, you can do a nice thing for that, you can visit the sick, you can take so-and-so to the hospital, uh, you can run... Um, uh, well, you can run all sorts of organizations, all sorts of things, councils of this, that, and the other. And you can do many spurious works and convince yourself in your heart that you're a Christian. Now, the trouble comes um, with those type of people when they hit face-to-face -face and nose-to-pane of glass with real Christianity. Their whole lives are challenged and the basis on which their beliefs are based are not for six. They are what I would call under law. Now, a person that's under law doesn't mean that he's got all the Bible texts and uh, is trying to live up to them. What a person under law generally is doing in this day and age is he has got an intellectual idea of what a Christian is, of what Jesus Christ was like, and he is trying to live up to it. He will always admit that he can't and that he falls short, but he will always aspire to it. And all the ethics and the ethos and the moral code of Christianity is the thing that he aspires to. Now, that is a legalistic person under law. Now, that type of person under law, the one thing he hates is a real Christian. 
And the scripture says, um, verse 29, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Now there is a natural thing that the person that's born of the flesh is going to persecute the person who's born of the spirit. That is a law in God. It can't be changed. It always will happen and you must expect it. That is why you'll have hundredfold of houses, wives, mothers, daughters, you know, Richard, this, that and the other with persecution. Do you remember? Now the persecution never comes from the world to the church, generally speaking. The persecution always comes from the people under law. It's the seed of the bond. It's the people born after the flesh with religious ideas and religious views who really persecute the true Christians, isn't it? I mean, I find I can go out into the street or into the world. I can talk to a person who goes to no church at all. I can share the gospel of Christ with him and I can find that man's heart responsive. I meet another person who goes to the local Anglican Methodist Buddhist church and that type person immediately, you know, now, why has one got a rising within him and the other not? Well, because once you start challenging people away from the flesh and the fair show in the flesh and you challenge their internal workings, then they know that their religion is false. Now, the only way to defend themselves is to attack you. If you want to salve your conscience, uh, and you know that you've been smitten, the only thing you can do is attack. That's why I know when people attack me, it doesn't matter. It's their conscience that's been smote. Now, if they've got to defend themselves and they don't want to obey God, they've got to attack me. That's par for course, so to speak. And you expect it. That's part of the minister's um, blessing. Uh, it's, you know, it's part of the job. You know that, that the legalistic people will attack the true seed. Now, what can we do to defend ourselves? Well, what can we do to defend ourselves? Anyone got any ideas? What can we do to defend ourselves? Nothing. You can't defend yourself. How can you say to a person that's so religious and got all the guises of righteousness that you are right and they're wrong? How can you prove it? I remember one woman saying to me, well, I've always been a good person. I always give to Oxfam. I always put in the box of the Salvation Army when they knock on the door. I always do my neighbor good. If she's ever ill, I'll go around and help clean her house. I'll look after the children. I'll take the milk in when they're away on holiday. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do the other. Now, how can you tell that person that there's something wrong with her life? If there's no conviction of sin and no realization of a real need in their life, you can't do anything. But when you start pointing out that a Christian 
has to have a pure heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And it's not what you do outwardly. What do you think inside every day? What goes on? Is it bitterness in you? Hatred in you? Jealousy? Envy? Malice? When you find religious people and you start touching their inward lives. I always remember, you know, it's funny how things come back to you. But um, one years ago, I went to a big Pentecostal church in in London, and I suppose there were about I don't know how many people in the congregation. Take a guess, and I'd say 150, 250 on the platform. Um, you know, there was a big platform with an orchestra and everything. And when I got out there, I found I was the third one to preach. Now, when you're a third preacher, I mean, I didn't even got the first spot. I was the third one. And I thought, for goodness sakes, two others went before me. And if you could have heard what they said, it just kind of shot the meeting down the tube. And so I got up and preached. I thought, well, Lord, you know, <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound, I'm stuck here now. And there was no way off the platform. There were, there were too many other people in the way. And so... I had to preach, and God gave me a word on, on divine healing, so I preached this word, and your eye kind of falls on people in the congregation. You always notice. You have to clear it back after, but um, it kind of somehow gets, you, you, you beat in on people, and, and you know they're there, and you can see what's in them, really, and you know all about them. And I saw this old guy over there, and I saw the look on his face, and I thought, oh, dear Father, now, whatever happens, keep that guy in his seat. And so while I was preaching, there was this communing going on between the Lord and I, and I was having a, a real tussle explaining to him why that guy should not get out of his seat and come and ask to be prayed for. And I explained to the Lord all the reasons. Now, I could do this while I was preaching. So what on earth I preached about, I've no idea. I was more concentrating on the fellow, or I didn't want to come out the front. And sure enough, you know, I said, now if you want prayer for healing, <laughs> I looked down, I thought, now dear Father, keep him out. <laughs> you know how you kind of look down and up uh, out of one eye, and the first person who got out of his chair was this fellow. I thought, oh, here he comes. Down he struggled to the front. A lot of other people came, but this guy, there he was. So I, I, I went forward and I thought, oh dear Lord, what's this? You know, I've no faith for this fellow. The Lord said to me, who, who heals them, you or me? You know, kind of a bit of a rebuke right in the middle. He could have waited till afterwards. Uh, <laughs> just before, so I got talking to uh, uh, what this fellow, what's wrong, you know, and this poor old boy started on, and a pastor grabs my arm, you know, one of these friendly pastors. No, no, don't bother about him. You know, I know all about his case. Leave him alone. Go to the rest. I'll deal with him. So I said to the fellow, well, just a minute. I said, look, You've come out. I'll talk. I won't pray for you now. The pastor says no, but I'll talk to you straight after the service is over, if you can find your way through the 50 people on the platform. Um, I thought that. I didn't say that. Um, 
but there's and then I started praying for the others and God gloriously met quite a few of them and a uh, little boy I remember about 12 gloriously filled with the Holy Ghost dancing around at the front lots of things happened and this this fellow was left and so I went uh, I, I went into to the uh, vestry and uh, with this pastor in walks this fellow and he sits down and I sat there and um, the pastor was sitting there and he didn't want me to talk to this guy so this guy began talking he said well he had this problem for about 40 odd years 50 odd years sickness and, all this. and he said he you know he'd been to this person to pray for that person to pray for and nothing had ever happened and, and uh, he didn't know what to do and blah 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 and the pastor didn't understand him and I looked up at the old fella and I said to him do you know what your trouble is he said no I said well you committed sodomy with someone when you were 18 years old in the navy and the pastor took a dive off his chair you can't say things like that let's stop this now let's stop this now we can't go into those type of things a chap fell off his chair on his knees, tears flowing down his cheeks. He said, I've never dared confess it. He was a married man, dear old man. Confessed it, Lord forgave him, got up totally healed. Pastor was furious. The inner sanctum of a person's mind must never be touched. This is holy ground, only God can go there. I turned around to the pastor and said, you're quite right, God's just been there. The trouble is, you've been there before. I never got invited back to that church, but I tell you something, that man's life was transformed from that moment. God set him free. Why? Because there was a real need in his life and the Lord wanted to meet that need. But you see, it couldn't be done by law and religion. It had to be done by the Spirit of God. I've often sat down and thought afterwards, when I've had words of knowledge, I've thought afterwards, Lord, you know, what would happen if you were wrong? At the time, I don't think about it. It just goes out like that and it's gone. But I, if the Lord gave me a chance to think about it and meditate on it, I wouldn't confront him. There's some things he's told me about people and he just, while I've been speaking with him, he's just fed it out and I've whooped it, gone. Because if I thought about it, I'd never say it. I wouldn't dare. But I just find that, bang, out it comes. Now that dear old man, he started leading, leading a religious revival group in the church and they used to meet at 7 o'clock every morning and pray and many people were filled with the Spirit through his ministry. Pastor never got free. But he did. And do you know what the pastor did? He persecuted that old man from that day on. And do you know what that old man did? He began to deal with people's inward needs. He saw that religion was slavery. And no one will get free. You won't get free of your bondages by reading the Bible more often. You won't get free of your hang-ups by spending hours on your knees crying out to God for mercy. You'll get free when you have a real encounter with Jesus Christ and when God by the Holy Ghost opens you up inside, 
floods you with his spirit and liberates your soul. That's where freedom comes from. It doesn't come from uh, religious ideas in your intellect. It comes from a heart change. It comes from a flooding of your heart that sets your heart in love with God and God's standards. That's what frees an individual. There's no freedom in the law. It's bondage. It says that the seed of the bond, you know, it gendereth bondage. The law gendereth bondage. If you're trying, people tell people. I remember a young lad once came to me and he said, well, I had this certain problem and it's a problem that a lot of young men have, but it's a problem that you can get victory over. And he said, I've got this problem. And he went to one of the elders and the elders said, well, read your Bible more often. Brethren church this was. Read your Bible more often. So he tried that and went back to the elder three weeks later and said, well, I've still got the problem. So the uh, elder said, well, he said, so is everyone else. Now that's not... Yeah, of course I want to be free. I said, well, it's quite simple. God needs to fill you with the Holy Ghost and liberate you. You know it's sin. He said, yeah. I said, you're going to repent of it? He said, well... Uh, uh, yeah, I suppose so. Prayed with him, and God liberated him totally. End of problem. Pure heart inside. The Spirit of God had got inside. And it's the inward experience we need where God cleans up our insides. Isn't it? Now the law, you see, won't allow you to clean up your inside. What the law says is polish the outside. But your outsides aren't the thing that need the dealing with. It's your insides. Now, what we get caught up in, and what most people get caught up in, is an external Christianity, not an internal where God gets in you. You see, it's an inward life we need. The outward doesn't matter. Really doesn't. The outward is totally insignificant because when the inward's changed, the outward will begin to conform. Conform the outward and you'll never get an inward change. And that's one of the mysteries in God. That's why Paul wrote to the Galatians and he says, Who's bewitched you? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? Of course you aren't. He that worketh miracles among you, does he do it by the Spirit or the works of the flesh? It's by the Spirit of God. In other words, I need a spiritual experience. What I need is to have an encounter with Christ that lifts me out of the flesh realm, out of my ideas of what God's like, out of my theories of religion, and out of my idea, trying to picture Jesus. You see people come to church, you know, and they come out, especially in evangelical churches, they try this one, and they say, come to Jesus, you know, he's, Open arms wide, just come to him, you know. And out these people trudge, come in. And um, they go on the same, but they've, they've prayed and people have said to them, now you've accepted, now you've become a Christian, brother. All you've got to do is get up at 6.30 every morning, have your quiet time for half an hour, read your passage of scripture, take the scripture union notes and do this, do that, do the other and you'll be a fine Christian. In 30 years' time, you'll be as miserable as I am. You'll, you'll be one of these sober old stodgy idiots. Can't enjoy anything. 
but it's a wonderful life. The road's hard, the battle long, but it's worth it. And I look at those stodgy old idiots in their baggy trousers, well, they used to be when I was young. I used to think, good Lord, if that, if that is... If that is Christianity, they can stuff it. I don't want it. And there was room in their baggy trousers for it, I tell you. I mean, was it? <laughs> Do you know the type, say, Peter? Yeah, I went to Brethren Church. You know, you know the type. And then you'd get the missionary come back off the field, the mission field. And they would walk out in their tweedy skirts and knitted woolen stockings and bun on the back of their head and their jumpers, you know? Jaeger jumper. And they would stand at the front with their Bible tucked under their arm and do you know the time? Yes, Jill. Yes. <laughs> and there they would be full of zest. And they would give you a discourse on the lepers of the outer Mongolian district of Hongapongdo or something. And they would bring out a snake skin from Africa, nothing to do with the outer Mongolia, Hongaponga, but just for interest. <laughs> and they would go on, waffle on, and you think, oh dear Lord, shut them up. I mean, I've had to. And then, of course, there'd be the bad time. They'd have the box out for a collection now. <laughs> and they'd whip round. And, you know, they'd even put one at the door and stand by it so you couldn't get out without having to give something. But you'd try to keep your hand clasped, drop it on quick. You know, hoped it battered a lot of money aside so it looked as though you'd given something. Didn't want your 10p to show up. It was half a crown in those days. And, well, I mean, what an all... But they like that, you know, religion. Oh, I remember someone coming back from Spain. This guy, do you know, he had a suit that I guarantee was 25 years old. It looked like it, it smelt like it, and it was shaped like it. He had lapels that kind of went out, you know, to the shoulder blades, you know, <laughs> not the shoulder, shoulder, whatever, well, that part, anyway. And, you know, wide things, baggy trousers. You didn't know whether he got feet or not. <laughs> it was kind of a rumor. The only way you knew was when he sat down, his trousers went up a bit. You could see the holes in his socks. But, I mean, you know, mind you, when he stood up and turned round, you, you <laughs> I won't tell you, but it was that shiny and thin. And this guy, I remember him with a squeeze box. Can you picture him? He wore a hat. He wore one of the hats, the old English-type hats with the black ribbon round, you know, grey with the black ribbon and kind of big brim. And he wore one of those, and he came in, uh, and bless him, I mean, he was a dear soul, really. His tie, the knot was tied so tight that, you know, you'd have needed, um, well, I don't know how he ever got it from round his neck at night. It was kind of all long and thin, you know, sausage tight, and all squelched out. And it looked as though there were 23 dinners regularly <laughs> poured down it, you know. <laughs> and hey, bless him, he was a dear. <laughs> and he was asked to say grace before the meal, and I thought, that's wasted that meal. 
And you watched the steam going off it. And you knew off he went, thanking God for Portugal. Well, I mean, Portugal's very nice. If you've ever been there on holiday and looking from its tide, had a lot of food there. And, and you know, it obviously worn his trousers well out there. And off he went. Oh. Uh, pathetic, really. And, and, you know, there was no joy in it. And he was, he was a broken man, really. I remember chatting with him, and he was a broken man. Well, it, it's a hard field. No one really wants God. It's awful out there. But I have gone for the Lord I've been called. And I know I've had to be faithful in sowing the seed. All these years I've sowed the seed. And there will be a harvest one day. But I'm just called to be faithful. And you look at a poor pathetic little specimen with his gravy stained tie. And you think, oh, for goodness sakes. What is that man about? Have you ever seen people like that? <laughs> you haven't, have you? Too, too young, bless you. Have you, you know, seen them at the church, missionary type, come in? Hmm? I mean, they might not have all the, the baggy pants now and the, the old jackets and the squelch tie, but, I mean, they are rather like that, a lot of them. And you feel sorry for them, don't you? And do you know the awful thing about it? They've lived here all their lives doing the Lord's work, they say, and God isn't in it at all. And when there's a real work of God and when God begins to move down the road, they'll be the ones that will fight it, oppose it, and do everything to slander it and malign it and attack it. Why? Because one's the seed of the bond, and the other's the seed of the free. And that's the difference. I remember going to a town once and, and a person told me, he said, well, he said, you won't get anyone to respond in this meeting. Imagine being invited to a meeting and there were, I think, about ten churches and all these young people were there, you know, nice young people. And he said, the chap says to me, he said, well, he said, you come here to preach. He said, don't expect results. I said, oh, thank you. Yeah. Real Job's company. Well, we've, we've had good brethren come here to speak before. None of them have ever responded. This is a hard place. You don't understand these kids. So don't expect any results. So I went out into this church, and um, it was a, a, a long hall auditorium, and I was kind of taken out of a side door and I found the platform was about, I don't know, about 20 foot up, I'd say. And you could look down and with binoculars, about halfway back you could see the congregation begin. And, and they'd retreat to the end. And I was on this platform with these people and off they started. You know, now, first of all we had an opening prayer. Dear Father God, it's nice of you to attend this place with us, um, you know, and we're glad that 
you know, it's the Lord's day and blah, blah, blah. On he went and on. Just, you know, a load of junk he was speaking. Well, sing hymn number, up they get. And you know, the, the, I think it was a piano start. No, it was an organ. Organ started and you could sing with the people on the platform and because they were halfway back, you could hear them singing two lines behind you. And you were never sure whether you should try and join with them or join with the organ and the people on the platform. Now, whether it took that long for the sound to travel, I don't know. I was stuck there. Then we sat down, and immediately up gets this woman uh, who had a, an operatic voice, to say the least. And she starts to wallow like... Um, these people do have got operatic voices and she starts singing a solo and off she goes and oh <laughs> you know you you try not to look at anyone in the congregation mind you you could hardly see them anyway <laughs> and, and I looked down I remember it clearly I looked down and I thought oh dear God <laughs> you know and, and she was made up to the nines she really was you know and she had high heels. She was worried about her height, I think. She, she was about five foot six, five foot seven, big built woman. She had these high heels on that were almost vertical. You know the type. <laughs> uh, uh, and they call her, she looked like a duck when she walked. <laughs> and what with her voice? You couldn't believe it. <laughs> At least I couldn't. And she went and she sang this. You know, off she went. And she got carried away. <laughs> Unfortunately, not the right way, but she got carried away. And then, you see, it came to my bit to speak. And they, this chap gets up, he introduced me. This is uh, Reverend Reed. He, well, no, it was Mike Reed then. They called me Mike. They didn't call me Reverend. No, they did call me Reverend. That's right, they did call me Reverend. Reverend Reed has come all the way to speak to us. Uh, I trust that you will pay attention to what he says while we sleep on the front row. <laughs> and you know the type. And so uh, off, off they start trooping off the platform with Mr. Piles tossing after. It looked funny. And I thought, blow me down, I'm going to get left alone on this platform. I'm not staying here. So I followed him down. So I'm not staying up there. So I, so I got off and I walked down. And this chap who had introduced me said, No, no, get back, get back. You stay up there. I said, No. I'm not staying up there. It's in front of the congregation. So I'm going. So I walked straight down. And I get to where the people are, you know, halfway back. I left the ministers and the leaders up the front, on the front row, to sleep. I mean, you don't want to disturb them. So if I'd stayed on the platform, I would have done. Um, so I walked back, and then I got to where these young people were. I said, see, I'm skin and bone, flesh and blood like the rest of you. <laughs> and they just burst out laughing, and we had a good meeting after that. And about 40 or 50 young people responded to the Lord. And do you know what happened? Minister was very angry. I'd been irreligious. I should have preached from the platform. But how could you communicate with people when you couldn't even see their eyeballs? 
I mean, you've got to be able to see a person's eyes to know what's in them. And you couldn't see them. And I, I, I always feel I've got to be connected to people. You've got to have some connection. But you see, the law, the legalistic, you can stand up aloof from all the people and you can preach your hieroglyphics, homiletics and stupidopics and anyone will listen and they'll think, oh, it must be right. Or you can come down to earth and you can speak to people in normal everyday language, call a spade a spade, not a horticultural implement. You can be absolutely blunt with them and you can help them see what their need is. Now, which would you rather do? Be bored to tears because someone can get up and can talk round the subject. I've heard people preach, and um, anyway, these people responded. I'll get back. 40 or 50 of these guys responded. So I thought, what shall I do with them now? So I said, well, those who want to have responded, I said, what I want you to do is get up and fill up the chairs at the front. Because, I mean, it was half the, <laughs> half the place was empty. And I tell you, the people who were sitting on the front row had gone to sleep, began to wake up, and they bolted for the door, and that was the last I saw of them. The pastor, Mrs. High Heels, and all the rest of it just vanished. They didn't want to know this was, you know, this was dangerous, dangerous stuff. I mean, people actually wanted to get converted, and young people at that. And the minister says to me afterwards, says, what do you expect us to do with those young people? I mean, our church can't cope with them. We don't want them. Cause a lot of problems, you know, trying to deal with all those young people. We're a more middle-class church. So I said, well, why do you have a mission and stuff? It's our duty. <laughs> what, 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 was the, what was the purpose of it? Well, you've got a second example. I mean, isn't that hypocrisy? That's law. Now, the Spirit's nothing like that. The Spirit of God and the people who are the, the sons of the free, they go about and they'll preach to anyone, love anyone, move in where anyone is, and upset anyone. Always they'll tell a person what their needs are straight down the line with absolute honesty and integrity. They'll upset them, they'll be persecuted by the so-called religious people because they'll always upset the status quo. And it's the status quo that people don't like getting upset. When you challenge a person and you say, is what you've got really real, don't they get mad? Well, I know I'm a Christian. Look at me. I've had 40 years of misery. You know I'm a Christian. And you look at the lines on their faces, they're kind of bitter scowl, and their misery, and you think, Bleh. Don't you? I do. I always think that. And then you see the other type of person who's happy-go-lucky, free, God's really met him, changed his heart, and he just knows, and he goes around, and he just treads on people's corns by nature. Just something about it. He can be with someone for 20 minutes and he'll find the biggest corn to tread on. Just something about a Christian who is moving by the Spirit of God. He just knows where to put his foot. 
You say, is that really the way Jesus was? Well, read the Gospels again with eyes open. Read them and say, well, what did Jesus really deal with when he met people? Did he, did he say nice little platitudes to them? Did he encourage them and say, well, you're a wonderful person and I'm sure there's a great... Or did he go, boink, straight to the point and say, your need's this. Rich man, one thing thou lackest. Woman, go and get your husband. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for inviting my husband as well. <coughs> well, <coughs> actually, I don't have a husband. No, you don't. In that you say, right, you've had five and the one you've got now isn't... <coughs> well, I mean, you know, I was trying to be nice. Did you have to? I mean, what idea have you got of Jesus? What idea have you got of Christianity? Is it a milk-sop, wheat-mead, wishy-washy kind of thing? Or do you realize there's a life in the Spirit and the Spirit of God seeks to bring conviction of sin. He sent his Spirit to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, if you've received the Spirit of God, he's come to reprove you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and to bring you into a real experience and to change your inward being. Is that what's happened in you? Has all the bitterness and the hurts and the wounds of your life been healed? Has God really got inside and dealt with you? Or are you one of these people with a facade of Christianity? Well, I go to church, I am a Christian, and really inside you're just a mess. The outside's painted beautifully, but the inside you're a mixed up, twisted wreck of humanity but you'd never let people know it. What's really in you? Do you love God? Do you worship God? Do you find the religious people persecute you? Do you find that you don't try and live according to a standard, but you find the love of God in your heart that just kind of bids you go and you can't help it? What really motivates you? Is it love of God? Not love of your fellow man, but love of God. Really loving God, so you want to spend time with him, you want to worship him, you want to be with him, just because it's in your nature to be. Or is it a duty? What is it in you? Have all your needs been met? Has Jesus really set you free from your fears, your frustrations, your anxieties? Are you seed of bond or seed of free? Which are you? Are you persecuted? Well, expect to be the seed of the bond always persecutes the seed of the free. Persecution is a gift of God with a hundredfold. And you know about one thing you want to bear in mind. Do you remember Jesus talked about the seed and he said some produce 30, some 60? It's only the hundredfold that have the persecution. If you just want to be a 30 or 60, uh, just halfway, well, go on. 
But if you want to be a hundred percenter, you have to have the persecution with it. It's a hundredfold to get the persecution, but that's by the by. You could always tell people, oh, don't, you know, the sitter's on the fence. They nearly injure themselves trying to keep their balance, sitting on the fence. What I always like to do with those people is put cut glass on the top. Makes them go one way or the other. Sorry, Doris. Um, strained her sensibility there. But <laughs> you know the w you know <laughs> you know the way people <laughs> sit on the fence. I mean, you've got to shift them one way or the other, haven't you? Where are you? Don't worry when people persecute and speak all manner of evil against you falsely. Jesus said, if they did it of me, they'll do it of you. But one thing, know this, that you're not to live to a legalistic standard. Don't be bewitched and beguiled by people who kind of quote standards to you. Know it's the Spirit of Christ that sets you free. You know, we used to sing a song, and we still do. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. I want to be a person who lives and walks in the Spirit, don't you? A person who knows the Spirit of God moving. I don't want to be someone who slips in and gets bewitched into the old systems. I want to stay out of them. I want to live the free life. Free in Christ, free in God. Knowing the freedom and clarity of life and joy that spontaneously rises in him. We're going to sing it. Come, Holy Spirit. Might be that some of the things I've said have touched little chords in your heart. A lot of people have very easily got bewitched. And really, their Christianity so easily slips from a life of joy and a life of spontaneity into a life of duty. They do their duty. Do you know the problem? You suddenly feel, well, I ought to. Suddenly, the desire and the real love evaporates. And you find your heart isn't really open any longer to be wooed by love. I find so many people with religion. I find so many who have begun so well have somehow let their hearts grow cold. And very quickly it becomes a formality, a formal thing. And their lives become very mundane, miserable. And you begin to wonder, what's gone wrong? How did the light of God go out there? What caused them to go away? What affected them? Sometimes they'll turn around and say, well, it was just that I got bored. But genuinely, it's usually that they've got trapped by the law, they've got bewitched. They've thought they've found a method of pleasing God. They've got into a routine. And then that routine's become their life. 
They go to church on Sunday. May go on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. They feel that if they do that, they're being obedient. And yet their hearts have lost that tenderness and love. The drawings of God have ceased. The breakings and the dealings of God have gone. And then they can only do one of two things. They can either repent and turn back to God or they can begin to hate the light. They can never be neutral. They've lost that sweetness, that touch and lie. What an awful thing. Don't you want to flow in the sweetness of freedom? In the glory of the light? Or do you want to be one of those whose only sign is a tie with spilt dinners on it? The only sign that you've ever eaten spiritual food? Clothes that don't fit and are tattered. Righteousness that's worn threadbare. Understanding that's gone. Head covered with a motley hat. Is that really the way? Walk so hidden in baggy trousers. One can't see a foothold. Or is there really something that just draws you and you say, well, I want to know God in life and power. I want to know him in purity. I don't want to be caught up. I don't want to be bewitched into legalism and duty. I want to know the tender movings of his spirit in my being. I want to be drawn into him. I want to know a spontaneous love to him. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you. I need you to re-quicken, to kindle again the flame of life. Never let it go out, oh God. I want that spirit of life to begin to melt and mold me, to touch me, to move in me. I want to know that holiness within, that change within. Come. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? Is that what you want with all your being, to know and love God? Oh, Jesus, come. Come and meet each heart each life. Sing it as a prayer unto him. Sing it from your heart unto him.
are. Thou knowest how easily our hearts grow so cold. How easily, O oh God, we get deflected from walking in your way. The things of the earth crowd in so quickly, O oh Master. And yet we want to be those who walk gently and carefully in you. Lord, we know there's a price to pay. We know too, O oh Lord, that you want such to worship you, who worship in spirit and truth. And Lord, we need your spirit to move in our hearts. We need you to quicken us, to make us alive. Lord, we need you to do a new thing in our beings. Lord, the pressures come so mighty upon us. And yet we need to go your way. Oh, Heavenly King, come, come, Holy Spirit. Don't pass us by. Don't pass anyone by who will truly cry unto thee. Lord, let your light so come and take hold of each heart. Thou knowest, O oh God, the needs of those who bow before thee. The anxieties that burden so many, the fears, the doubts, the unbelief that grips hold of so many. But, O oh Master, you're faithful. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, womb such as need a rekindling of love. Lord Jesus, woo him. Draw him. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you to do a work within our beings. We need you to do a new thing. This day. This hour. Come, Holy Spirit.
comes from the pilgrims. He makes so much that I have gone to show us the way to go. Show us how to come. Such a prayer. Lord, I need that. 